0: welcome back to city um In the words of my sister, Crystal, she always says, boy, do we have a treat for you today. Um, And we do. We are in Sevierville, Tennessee at the Apple Barn, and we're going to just dive into um, all things about the Apple Barn. We've already been on a tour, um, and so we can't wait to uh, tell you what we have learned. I am Megan Brown, uh,
1: UTTSU Extension Agent in Meigs County. And I'm here, Crystal Blankenship, UTTSU Extension Agent in Cumberland County, and we have... Not one, but two very special guests. Would you like
0: to introduce yourself, special guest number one?
2: Oh, I'm Larry Mitchell. I'm the county extension agent and county director in Meigs County, and I have to work with Megan, so...
1: Okay, you're going to have to do that over now. I can't I'm putting do it, it in like there. I'm putting it in there. There you go. She probably Please will put that, that I in I will. There. Okay. <laughs> And our other very, very special guest, yes. even more special than Larry Mitchell. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> Would
3: you like to introduce yourself? I don't know about that, but I'm Kilpatrick <laughs> here from the Apple Barn, born and raised here, grew up on the farm, and we're just so thankful to have you all out. So, thank you for being here.
1: Well, we're just thankful to be here. This place is
0: spectacular. Right. And we got to go on a tour earlier, and I, I feel like I've grown up coming here, even though... Um yeah, I have. Like, I, um, I I have. And so, and hearing the um, story behind it has been great. And so, we just want to dive into that. What you were um, telling us on our tour of, of how this all began, like, um, because it didn't start out to be what it is now, right?
3: That's true. Okay. That's true. The, certainly, the plan was not to be uh, quite the Apple Enterprise that it is now. Uh, <laughs> like it apple was a, a family farm and still is a family farm. We all work together here. But we um, had a beef, cattle, and tobacco operation, and my father was a pharmacist in the local town of Sevierville, and it was bought as a hobby farm to raise two boys and uh, just kind of play around with some uh, beef, cattle, and tobacco and things that were, that were going on back in the day, the late 70s, uh, as far as agriculture in our area. Um, we had a... A really significant crop failure, tobacco, one year more, one year worse than others, and a local extension agent named Joe Woods was a good friend of my, my father, uh, and they came out and just did some soil testing and looked at how really wonderful the fruit trees were doing and the garden and everything that Dad was working hard to grow, except for. Uh, the crop of tobacco and he recommended to, to do a transition and do a roadside fruit stand and back in that day that was just not real feasible because dad was working at the drugstore and and doing other things so as we researched it more and transitioned a bit more we got a little more invested with the University of Tennessee with uh, Dr. David Lockwood which is also a good friend of my father's and he still to this day um, helps me in in the orchard and planning for what pests and, and fungicides and things that we have to, to deal with on a daily basis in the South growing apples. But um, it was kind of an interesting uh, transition at that point because we we were not planning it, and then it just kind of grew in a, a tourist destination town that people were going to the national park. So we had the, the visitor ship coming by, but it was very much out in the country. The apple barn was in uh, the edge of the town of Sevierville, and, and Gatlinburg was where tourism trade was was all taking place so it was kind of a, a reach to think that you could have a tourism stop uh, so we just kind of started at that point and, and it's grown uh, leaps and bounds really since that point
0: and we love the the ut extension connection and i don't know if you want to speak any on that being the agent.
2: Well, I think I, you know. I always think that's important. Anytime that extension is connected with something as successful event as what this has taken place. But you also did you study at the
3: University of Tennessee? I sure did. I was uh, undergrad there. I was, uh, agricultural economics major. And uh, when we started the process of me going to school, that was the that was the idea. It was a natural fit at uh, the university that um, that I. Fit into that operation, and we're looking at value added agriculture. And it was just like, <laughs> you're kidding, that's what we do. That's what, it's kind of <laughs> the, the process of we're not just growing apples, we're trying to make apple butter, we're doing fruit wines, we're doing uh, farm raised products here. That people, we want to have a family experience in a tourist town, uh, but it's also something that locals lean on us that they know we're making the product here, that we're doing things uh, we feel like the correct way, the right way, the, the old way, the farm way. Well, that wasn't always in, in vogue and popular trend, uh, it was more efficient to just uh, co-pack and co-label and send somebody out to do your things and we stuck with doing, we're squeezing our own cider, we're doing our own apple butter and, and we're partnering with local people and, and Alan Benton is one of our favorite people to talk about, um, uh, Sweetwater Valley Farms, other, other folks that are doing things the right way that are in our community. Uh, we, we believed in, when Pick Tennessee Products came along, we, we wanted to be the first to join into that. That's what our customer likes, and we have to provide that. They want something local. They don't want something, if they're at their farm market in Ohio or Michigan or Florida, that they're getting. They want something that's that's truly a unique product to here. So if we're not growing it, we're trying to source it through someone that we actually know, uh, someone we actually trust, and the other products, we're making them here on the farm. So. When that came back in style, the farm made products, it, it really helped us and helped our business, but um, that's been kind of a fun transition to watch, and we just hope to continue to make our own products and let them, uh, one of the lines that we used to always say, is, see, smell, and taste the fruits of our labor. And so that can <laughs> take the product from growing the apple to processing the apple to actually making that value-added uh, transition, and that's what one of the things that we always had done. But I learned the more efficient route uh, through Dr. William Park and the guys that helped me at the university to know what what the true science of value-added agriculture is. Where how do you decide? You still need to grow the fruit. You still need to have the fresh fruit. But you still need to process it to make the more the better margin on that fruit. So the diversity in what we're doing is we can sell fruit year round. We have dried apples. We have apple butter that's canned in a way that will will last, um, you know, for several months. We also have the fresh cider. We can freeze. And so we're trying to diversify in ways that the value added part of it. We're not only such a seasonal business where we're only a pick your own orchard where people can come and enjoy. Picking fresh fruit, which is great, and, and that's a fun uh, stop for people. But we can do it year-round here because of the process that we've kind of cultivated and learned through mm-hmm. that connection um, of value-added agriculture is what I would call mm-hmm. it. And agritainment, and that became kind of a tagline and a, right. a cool thing to say when, when a few years ago. But that, that's just what we've always done, that you grow something, you do it through the full process, you let people watch it. And that's, that's, that's a lot of fun to, to watch, not just the apple products, but the candy products and the wine products and the ice cream and the things that, that do still all include the apple is king at the apple bar. <laughs> apple will be involved in every single process we do. But uh, to, to be able to do it in such a diversity of ways, that, that allows it to be kind of fun that in the summer months, early summer, apple's not in season, so we can still have things going on that that the kids that are out of school can come and enjoy their summer break and have fun and, and see what agriculture is about. There's a lot of kids that come here and never seen one of my tractors. They want to see a tractor. They want yeah. to see something going on, that something's being grown. And, and we're the stage. During the summer, we're doing a lot of thinning and pruning. or We prune in the winter, but actually we're doing a lot of active uh, agricultural practices in the summer, and it's so fun to see somebody come from Florida and say, well, I've seen an orange grow, but I've never... Seen an apple grow. Mm-hmm. I've never seen this. So that it's an experience for them outside of the normal.
1: So when we uh, came in, you were actually talking about there being somebody from UT out back. You were like, hey, there's people here from UT. What were they doing here? Who was it and what were they doing here?
3: Well, they've done a lot. I mean, to start over the years, I couldn't even, I would take the whole podcast to tell you all the partnership <laughs> we have done with UT and how much they've, they've inspired. Um, the actual design of the orchard, the shape against the hill, irrigation specifications, um, spray guidelines, things that help us in our uh, unique climate. But today, we're working on a very unique project that's uh, Dr. David Lockwood and Amy Fulcher and uh, those those folks are heading up a IntelliSpray project. And what that means, uh, I used to use a 500-gallon tank to spray the entire orchard. Uh, we're very cognizant of what the latest spray guidelines and what we do in the South, but uh, it's very clear that we cannot grow an organic apple in the south, and it and it be appealing to the the general public. So we have <laughs> <I'm> to <clears throat> <sorry. laughs>
4: we,
3: we have to to utilize the practices that we know, and, and that's apl- uh, applications of fungicide, uh, applications of insecticide, and doing them in the most efficient way. Uh, I had no idea the, the, the impact that the university would have, but this IntelliSpray process was a, a significant investment if you were to purchase it on the open market. Uh, but through the research in the last two years uh, in, in connection with Clemson and NC State, but headed up by the University of Tennessee, they've established it is now available uh, through a local John Deere dealership network all across the country. Um, that That is a process that... IntelliSpray um, will actually have a ground speed laser that shows exactly how fast I travel in the tractor. There's also a radar that shows the the foliar canopy of the apple tree. So it measures as the speed I'm going and also the canopy density at the time of the spray. So if I'm p- applying a dormant oil where there's very little foliage, uh, the solenoids will actually open and close at each tree limb that I pass and will emit a just a literally a spray that will apply just to that particular localized piece of fruit we want, or piece of foliage, or piece of. Um, the tree we want to treat at the time. So I went from spraying between 1,500 to 2,000 gallons per 10 acres to spraying less than 500 gallons per 10 acres. That's uh, it's a amazing. tremendous amount of savings for us, cost savings. Yeah. And there's there's a lot of great research that shows that the spray drift and things that you're you're impacting in our environment that are beyond the actual fruit. We're very much uh, directly targeting the pest, and we're targeting exactly what we're doing, and we're helping the the expense at the end of the day, um, because of, uh, obvious spray materials are, are quite yeah. expensive to
2: buy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think that's something that a lot of people would not even think about, University of Tennessee particularly, or other universities being involved in that, and how that's helping you on your products and how that's helping you as a Tennessee product producer. I think a lot of times people think of the university as just, well, that's a college or that's the university and don't think about what they're doing out in the communities to actually help producers. Mm -hmm.
3: And I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. And one of the funny a- anecdotal things that a lot of local farmers and things will say, "Oh, the university folks—they may not know what's relevant, or they may not know they over-sell something." And when you really get down to the the truth of the matter, it's it's where it all comes from. And that research that is funded is what allows us to be efficient. And it's a it's a tremendous resource for the apple barn and for those that utilize that. And I think that, um, it, yeah, that it, you, you could over spray, you can overdo things, but the goal of the university's research project is to limit those things and to make it where it's feasible for someone that may not be able to go out and invest in the infrastructure and, and the ability mm-hmm. to know, okay, we only need to spray this many parts per million on this leaf they now have the research that's proven in East Tennessee. So now these little growers, if you only have 100 trees or 10 trees, mm-hmm. you can benefit from that same absolute true data that is mm-hmm. produced from what the, this research project, and they're doing others, of course, all across the state. And we're just thankful that they chose us to be a part of that, and it's, it's just helped us tremendously, and I know that, that it will other growers for sure.
0: It's something I was thinking about. We we're like both going talk at the same time because we're excited. Um, when we were in the apple room, um, uh, the, this is tying into the ag part of extension. Well, you'd mentioned we were, we were uh, asking how that worked and the pasteurization said, well, you may not be interested in that. And we were like totally interested in it because we're it's the family. our jam. Family. Literally, we're the family <laughs> consumer science. So food safety, how products are developed, that's all like we love that. Um, and then you're talking about educating young people. So that's the bringing in 4A and and tying all those things together so i feel like you've got an extension operation going on here um at the apple barn and something that i love too is you're in the busyness of the city and it's like when you turn down this road all of a sudden you're not even though i know you are but it's just like you just stepped off of you know like you're
2: that's a totally different feel to a it.
0: totally different feel once you turn down that road there a totally different feel like okay um I'm out in the country now,
1: <laughs> and, and there's people coming and going, and it's it's busy. It's a business, but you're right; it is a totally different feel. <laughs>
3: I'll tell you a funny story about that. That back in the day when we moved here, uh, this road was named Lonesome Valley Road, <laughs> and it was a lonely it. It
4: road
3: back here. And my father, uh, we, we were we were named Riverbend Farms at Lonesome Valley. That was mm-hmm. the name, the farm name. Well, when Gary Wade, our local mayor, purchased a track of land that he wanted to build a motel, he saw the Apple operation being quite successful, and he put in for us... To change changed the name to Apple Valley Road. So now you're <laughs> coming on Apple Valley Road. And my father was always reluctant because he said, this is Lonesome Valley. <laughs> yeah, is a, but it was an honor to get to call it Apple Valley and see all the apple trees to change. But that was kind of the progression. And still, you feel that's the, the goal when you come back here is It's not just a family farm. We want it to feel like a family mm-hmm. farm. And, it, and we, we try to, to preserve that. And, and really, that way people can see fruit being grown and processed and picked and season and doing things mm-hmm. um, and so that's that's kind of ironic that you mention that because the, the actual road name was Lonesome. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: and, I, and I love that you, you've you got you can see the apples growing up on the hill but you said preserve you know the way things look so talk about the barn because I, I know we were fascinated in, in, in looking at all things barn I know Crystal said uh, you can't uh, would you say hard to imagine cattle coming <laughs> through here but then you can
1: see it at the same time and then, and then he he was like here's the horse stalls and, and you're it's like oh like, well, i what? see it now no.
3: <laughs> sure yeah it's a it's a real uh, centerpiece to our farm and and we're really proud of it it's well over 100 years old now we uh, that uh, I've been saying it's 100 years old for almost 120 years now. But
4: <laughs> so now we're looking at almost 120
3: years that the barn was built. And uh, Mr. Mullendore, Roger Mullendore, was the original uh, farmstead owner here. And he had a portable sawmill that came in and cut uh, English walnut and wormy chestnut. Uh, you know, wormy chestnut's no longer a species that is available. Is and so it, it's really a, a thing that people that come in and can see that, and look at that structure. Um, it would it would break all of our hearts. Uh, we had a fire scare about ten years ago, and we were very adamant about doing fire suppression systems in the barn. After that point, uh, mm-hmm. to make sure that uh, it would go up very quickly with uh, mm-hmm. an old barn like that. So it's it's been uh, the thing that we can be really proud of and show that, that where the stalls were, where the bulk hay feeder mm-hmm. was, and I think that's kind of interesting to somebody that's that's kind of in history or agriculture or had a family member or had a story or had something that that they can come and see a true old working barn that we did lay the pine plank flooring down and one of the things that we had a lot of customers over the years that would come in they would say i'm cold in the winter or i'm it's hot (laughs) in here and my father's favorite comment was it's a barn
0: (laughs) (laughs) you're (laughs) literally in a barn
3: (laughs) and we have we've graduated from that to make it a bit more comfortable for everyone but we try to make sure that we preserve the original tin roof the original structure the original everything and and the original uh, home place that i grew up in is 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 close to where I grew up in, as it can be, and, mm-hmm. and just has a little kitchen and some apple fritters being mm-hmm. served out of it. Oh, it smell
0: delicious, mm. <laughs> so good. So you mentioned um, you first, you, like you're selling apples on the carport, um, and, and I, if you. But I hate to say repeat exactly what you said, but you talked about that progression of then adding the
1: 30 the thirty cider. pies. Or having yeah, <laughs> a cup of cider,
0: and uh, you know, instead, of, yeah, the, you know. Sure. Yeah, yeah.
3: yeah, and I, I think I said the word, it's kind of corny to say organic growth, but it was whatever you want to say, the natural growth, and it's the demand of the, the actual customer to actually show up and want some cider and want some apple experience. Uh, when that began, it was uh, truly, we had just a bit more fruit. Then we had demand so we were selling out of the carport uh you know a little whatever you want to call it like i always call it the carport growing up and we uh had a, a card table and about three or four half-picked bags, and my mom would make some pies, and dad had a five-gallon ham fest, and so on the weekends, dad would make cider. There would be a few jugs of cider that would make us about four-gallon jugs of cider, and so that was basically to provide the neighbors some fresh apple goodies and treats and just get our feet wet in that. Uh, we just had a few apple trees at, at that point, and then when, when we grew toward, we thought about cleaning out the barn. We had... A little more fruit than we could sell as it was just straight fresh fruit so dad made a little more cider mom <laughs> made a little more pies and then that's where the natural progression of value-added agriculture became a necessity okay now we've got to dry some fruit now we've got to can some things now we have to put things up to not waste the fruit
4: mm-hmm. so
3: now uh, that that inverse has changed and we don't care to share we have great partners and growers there's no secret we cannot grow all of the fruit that we sell because we do make everything on site that we possibly can apple stack cakes fried apple pies apple butter apple candies candy apples uh, the, the apple cider is a tremendous demand on our a quantity of pounds of fruit that we squeeze every year. So now we have what we want to make sure is local growers, but his good friend's dad, he just turned 87. He's got a lot of great grower friends that we know we can count on having local fruit. That we're, We have a gentleman in a tiny community of Catons Chapel, Tennessee. Uh, he wouldn't mind me mentioning his name, Lawrence Manning, is, is one of the finest men you'll meet. And he grows everything, but he has not a grater. He doesn't have a processing piece of equipment he has a bunch of apple trees so he brings them to us and trusts us to sort them out as processing apples as grade a fruit as candy apples and things of that nature Uh, what a great partnership i think it is for him and us both that we have a a local supplier so they know it's grown right here but also uh, he has a way to 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 market his fruit where he doesn't have to grade it out and try to sell it Mm -hmm. against the big boys Mm -hmm.
1: What I thought was really cool when we were um, touring, we were looking out back, and you said you have ten to 12,000 apple trees. Um, and, y'all, they're on a, you know the side of the mountain. Uh, <laughs> so, my next question to Kent was, how do they get picked? So, if you don't mind just talking us through that process of, you know— how, how they get from tree to here, and then, which is, you know, right out back, um, but then how there's no waste. You know, every part is used, because I think that is just really cool, too.
3: Sure, sure. When it comes time to picking season, uh, uh, my brother and I, we take care of the orchard through the duration of the year, but picking season is a little more labor intense, and um, uh, it's very steep. I, I know, a funny story, I'm, I'm 43 now, and my mother works here with us, and every time I get off the tractor, she makes sure I'm still in one piece, because it's extremely steep piece of real estate that we're, we're growing apples on. and. To what we discussed earlier about getting the fruit off the tree, it's all picked by hand. Uh, that's a very popular sounding job. You want to come pick apples, <laughs> you figure out it's in, the, in the upper 80s, and you have a 42 pound picking bag strapped to you, and you're climbing a six foot ladder. It's very uh, uh, labor intense, on but on the side apple. of the mountain. <laughs> <laughs> Turn that in. But the the, the issue and the, the excitement and the problem, I guess, is that you're, you're, you cannot mechanically harvest this fruit. it try in the past in, in large commercial orchards, but you bruise the, damage the fruit so badly that you're, you've worked all year to have a pretty apple, and then when you mechanically harvest it, just is not pretty, and, and it's all bruised up. So we were committed to hand-picking the fruit. We, we move it into a 20-bushel bin. Uh, that goes behind their tractor, and we bring them out one at a time and in, directly into the cooler. We That removes the field heat, so it preserves the apple. We do not spray them with a wax or anything. We just get them cool. And after they're cooled off, we, we take them through a grading process, and that would eliminate some of the not-so-pretty fruit. If it's bruised by some reason or if it has a damaged part, we would remove that fruit. Then we would go on to a sizing conveyor. So when the sizing, it goes to the big, pretty ones that go on the shelf. You're sold as fresh apples to the medium ones that go into candy apples to small ones go back into apple cider. It goes back in the cooler, and, and as we get ready to make a batch of cider, we'll bring about 18 to 20 of those bins down to try to— Hopefully, get about 2,000 gallons of cider and and everything. So yeah, we just use the whole fresh fruit. It's just a whole apple squeezed. And everybody asks, well, how do you get apple cider? Well, it's it's a blend of a sweet, tart, and aromatic apple. That is dad's secret recipe. There's no additives, there's no anything. But if you make it out of one variety, you'll have a very flat, not very tasty cider. So he loves to use a, a tart apple, like a Granny Smith or Sap. Loves to use an aromatic apple, like a Red Delicious, that smells wonderful, and, and most Red Delicious do not have a tremendous amount of flavor. So then we bring in a gala or some kind of flavored fruit that really brings a, a nice sweet finish to the, the side of it. Uh, that being said, when we squeeze all that apple up, we, we have a great amount of well, juice that comes up. We also have a great amount of squeezed-up apples that need to have something done to them. And that goes out to the, the end conveyor, and we take that straight over to the pasture and feed cattle feed. They meet us at the cattle gate, and they got run over the tractor when we're trying to pull in
4: to
1: get
3: there. And so uh, it makes for, for a nice treat for the, for the cattle on the next pasture field over
1: I just think it's amazing because nothing is going to waste. Mm-hmm. And I just I love, love that, that so mm-hmm. much. Um, and I you may have said this, and I apologize if you did, but let's talk about just the the growth. You know, you said it just kind of organically grew, but you went from, you know, dad cranking out a few gallons of cider on the carport to, you just said, 2,000 gallons.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, 30, early, 30 apple pies. So earlier, didn't you say something like 2,000 gallons a day?
2: Correct.
1: Yeah. Uh, two, I'm going to repeat that. 2,000 gallons a day. That is a lot of apple cider. <laughs>
3: it is. And, and what we have found ourselves in transition now is that 2,000 gallons a day is our maximum real production efficiency that we can do. And we've actually outgrown that a little bit. We do that <laughs> twice a week during season, uh, once a week in the off season. So to say we do that every day is a little bit, uh, I gotcha. don't want to misrepresent that. That's not a daily uh, operation, but when we, as soon as, when people come to the apple Bar now, they will look in and see that we don't have a lot of fresh fruit because we really, literally use fresh, fresh fruit that's picked here. Uh, when we have that fresh fruit here, that's when we really crank up our capacity sure. and we're really making that 2,000 gallons every time mm-hmm. we squeeze. And, th- and that's... It, to we, we work on a five day work week, so when I squeeze on Tuesday, I jug on Wednesday, and I clean up, and I squeeze on Thursday and jug on Friday. Well, Monday is also a prep day, so it we're we're in full operation of a mm-hmm. five day work week for cider production, but we're really only. To be clear and honest, that, that two thousand gallons is going to be on a twice a week rotation because we have oh to check it Oh my goodness!
1: I mean, it's only only, only. <laughs> uh, <laughs> still a lot of cider. Lot of- <laughs> um, and I want to come back to the cider because I have another question about it. But Megan was talking about the um, thirty fried pies, mm-hmm. and now you were telling us mm-hmm. on a on a hot day, on a good pie day,
3: yeah, we could get close to seven thousand pies on a, on a day, <laughs> but five thousand would be more of a. Uh, realistic normal you know weekend day but we we have found that uh, that's kind of our capacity we need to be prepared for as far as what we're ready to to crank out and the thing that i think people would appreciate and like is that the process or the recipe has not changed uh, since the late 70s the first pie was made uh, before we actually opened we actually opened in 81 so Uh, whatever you want to date that back to. The recipe was much older than that, and it is a really old family recipe that is handmade, and we do not bring in dough or frozen products or anything. Uh, So that's still a a pretty crafty kind of cool product that we make that people don't want us to change.
1: So what he's saying, folks, on a normal day, 5,000 fried pies... And there's these four. I, I, I only saw women. I don't know if there's any men back there making them or not. But four little women back there just rolling out pie dough and. <laughs> they are <laughs> with their flour, uh, yeah, with their hand I mean, rolled, right? Yeah, every day, mm-hmm. five thousand a day. That you said they make them fresh every single day. Um, they there's not any carried over from like yesterday. Today.
3: Correct. That's one thing that, that dad's a big believer in. We're all believers in that we don't do like day old pies. We do not sell a lot of other growers that we're friends with. They, they have a discounted pie the next day. We just do not. If, it, if you come into the apple and buy a pie, it was made that day. We do not have preservatives. They will not last forever. They're just good old fresh pie. But we, we want to make sure if you walk in and you're the first customer or the last customer, that pie was rolled and made that day. And that's a common, common question. People want to know, mm-hmm. how old is this pie? When was it made? And you can tell <laughs> them, honestly, look them in the eye, it was made that day. They're happy. Mm-hmm. They, they want that pie. They, they would pay extra for it mm-hmm. instead of the one from the day before.
1: That's going to be one of my most common questions now. I don't know that I always <laughs> asked before, but now when was it was this, yeah. <laughs> <does> this made? When was this made? Because you know the apple barn. They make them every day. <laughs> they make them every day. <laughs> Um, back to my question about the cider we were talking about you um, you do not pasteurize but you do have a process to make it stable and safe
3: that is correct and that was a great collaboration with the university as well mm-hmm. they created a school and it was to help us a lot but it, any other grower was invited to come to this school it was at a local holiday inn here in Pigeon Forge mm-hmm. and um, Dr. Sam Beate, uh William Morris and Dr. David Lockwood were the presenters in that school, and we learned that uh, pasteurization is to create something safe. It's a five log reduction in bacteria. There's other methods, other ways to achieve that uh, flash pasteurization, uh, ozone light. Uh, traditional heat pasteurization, and as well as ozonation, and so when we we researched it, uh, there was a lot of concern that it would put smaller producers out of business because of the, the federal mandate after the E. coli scare uh, many years ago at Oddwalla Farms in California. That was a big problem for apple producers. But the 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 answer to that was okay. We are going to come up with a way to do a five log reduction in bacteria without having to pasteurize. Because if you pasteurize, you're you're becoming more of a, what I would call a a grocery store uh, highly filtered juice product Mm -hmm. instead of good old fashioned cider. And it's funny, the generation that uh, that I'm a part of and younger, a lot of them have never had true just good old Mm -hmm. squeezed apple cider. And they're fascinated. They're like it's biting into a fresh apple. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So we wanted to maintain that unique farm product instead of just bowing down and saying, we're going to pasteurize. So when we, we, Went into the the process. We decided to ozonate. It gives you the five log uh, reduction in bacteria. Gives you the shelf stable. It's it's a the product lasts a little longer. So when you buy the product, you take it home. You put it in the refrigerator. It's not going to get puffy and turn Mm
4: -hmm. vinegar too
3: quickly. (laughs) uh, Won't won't blow the lid (laughs) off of (laughs) it. But so it's given us a unique process that we can actually sell good old fashioned apple cider that's not pasteurized. It's never been heated. And I can promise you I've had apple cider every day my entire life, it did not change the flavor. It just actually bubbles a, a ozone bubble through just as if your major uh, Aquafina or any water mm-hmm. producer, that's how they purify their water, and that's how we purify the cider.
1: So... We were saying, and I can't remember if it was on on record or not, we were saying, you know, Meg and I are FCS agents. Larry's an ag agent. You know, I get excited about the nerdy FCS stuff. But I think that's fascinating because being FCS agents and growing up, you know, people are really scared of things that are not pasteurized. They they get, they see that and it just kind of, it it makes them a little, uh, about it. So knowing it's safe. Mm Mm-hmm. Is a big deal, and, you know. I mean, that's to me it is. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. As a matter of fact, we had to go through some local uh, loopholes because uh, we do not pasteurize. Well, our local uh, food inspector mm-hmm. has a clipboard essentially, and in that clipboard it says, "Okay, we're an apple cider producer. Do we pasteurize?" When he checks no on that, we have to then put a warning label. Oh. The warning uh, label is is it's to those that are immunocompromised, young, mm-hmm. elderly this product could be dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, that's pretty scary words. Mm-hmm. To it put is. On every, you have to put it, you had to have it on a certain size and put mm-hmm. it on every label. Uh, so we researched further. We said, well, we invested in this equipment and we mm-hmm. were doing our part to make it safe Do we really need the, the label. And so we had to work hard to get around that because the, even though that we did our research and the university helped us to, mm-hmm. to achieve our goal, that there was a fine line of it was not, worded properly, it should have been worded 5-log reduction in bacteria Mm -hmm. versus pasteurization. Mm-hmm. We, it's true we were not pasteurizing. So mm-hmm. the the inspector was correct to say we had to have a warning label. Sure. But we had to just do a little more further mm-hmm. research. And the university again helped me with that. <laughs> Dr. Faith Kreitzer was in, in, in that process.
1: It's just so interesting. Mm-hmm. Like, that stuff like like I said. And I, I really am interested in the agriculture side of things too. But you know it's just super, it's fun. Mm-hmm. It's super definitely fun. fun. So um,
0: kind of thinking about the complex here. I don't know if anybody a listening has never been here because I know everybody I, in my circle. We all know the Apple Barn. Uh, but uh, name all that uh, that you've got here on on the complex.
3: Sure, sure, we can talk about that. Uh, we we started with, as, as we said, just in the carport, fresh apples. Uh, apples are king here, so apples will always be everything relative to apples. Uh, when we went and got into the pies and cider, it was such a small operation. Uh, The next progression we started as a year-round business was our farmhouse restaurant. Uh, we grew up, my brother and I grew up in the, the farmhouse, and we moved out in 1986. It took one year to transfer it into a farmhouse restaurant, and we, we preserved all the original rooms, the woodwork, everything, but we had the kitchen in the back with a garage carport area where we initially started the Apple operation, and that was to, to be a, a also Apple-themed enterprise, but it's very much a country meal. You sit down to some really good chicken and dumplings and, and items oh. like that, but you're, you're pretty, <laughs> With <laughs> apple fritters and apple butter to start the meal, and the applewood julep. It's a mm-hmm. great blend of. Um, I can get into the exact recipe, but it's basically apple juice and some other fruit juices that, that make up our apple and julep. And I have to know if y'all came up with that. We did. Okay.
0: That's always been my bread. most remember. And In fact, when I, I was at church last night and, they, and I uh, had a lady ask me what I, she's always asking what I'm doing for work. And I said, tell her where I was going. She said, oh, are you going to have some of that apple julep? That's the first thing she said. You're going to get to have that.
3: <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's amazing how many people love it and I do too I've never gotten tired of it everybody says you must be sick of apples and I say no I drink a glass of cider every day that's the first thing everybody gets a cup of coffee I get you get, get your cider, cider. I love more,
0: it every <laughs> morning
3: to start my, my day off but, but after that opened it gave us an opportunity to have a year-round customer base that was not just fresh fruit driven as the farm market model kind of would standard normally be Mm -hmm. Um, and after we got past that we were able to grow a little further and we got into uh, producing you know more of the pies and more of the the things that we're doing here on site and we got into making some candies that, that weren't just directly caramel apples and candy apples but we have probably one of the unsung heroes of our operation is I would say we have probably the finest candy kitchen in the southeast it's got um, uh, one of the jobs when I graduated I graduated from UT and ag economics and uh, we were going to open another store and my dad says well we know every recipe we know how to do everything at the apple bar except how to make candy so I want you to go be a chef in the candy kitchen from my first job out of college and I, I thought I'm ready to get on a tractor I'm ready
4: to <laughs> what I feel like I know
3: how to do and I had to put a white apron on and learn our candy process and we um, really do the most old fashioned handmade copper kettle Divinity Fudge is hand-whipped, hand-beaten. We do uh, stick candy. That's We're the only people in the country that actually do it by hand anymore. There's rope machines that do it. um, Uh You used to see it done in Gatlinburg. It's it's similar to a taffy process, Uh but it's a really hands-on, fun shop to stop in, and and nobody thinks about that coming to the Apple Market. They're thinking about the cider and the Mm -hmm. fruit pies. So when we started to diversify and do more, that just let us grow our season, let us do more things. Um, as you go down further, we do our own. We have a creamery on site, and uh, it's homemade, hand churned ice cream. And we have uh, around twenty to thirty flavors at any time. Uh, we started specializing in a good old homemade vanilla bean that goes mm-hmm. a scoop right on our fried apple pie so mm-hmm. that makes everybody's mouth water when you talk it about that really.
4: <laughs> you're speaking my love like <laughs> but, but
3: we also have some apple varieties and some fun things for the kids and things that are in the creamery and you walk and also to speak of the creamery The bakery It makes my mouth water that I'm talking about it. We do a lot of like apple blackberry and uh, apple walnut breads Mm. and cake bread (laughs) styles that that we bake. And you walk by the bakery and you smell that. It's unbelievable. And uh, they do a lot of uh, cobblers and things made out of those cake breads. Mm -hmm. But also you can buy a loaf of the bread and take home. Uh, And as you get on down the sidewalk, we we also have uh, developed into uh, Apple Barn Winery. It has been so much fun, and um, one of the first—everything that's made there is made out of the apples. It's an apple-based everything. There's not a, a grape-based wine in the lineup except for uh, old-fashioned Tennessee muscadine. And, mm-hmm. and the way Dad describes it, it's like Mama and Papaw, uh You crack up into a mason jar of their old-fashioned <laughs> mason uh, muscadine <laughs> wine, and it is uh, a Tennessee-grown muscadine. It's grown in Granger County, Tennessee, mm-hmm. and we have a great— Supplier over there. Uh, it's skin on fermentation for the first 48 hours, so you really get that. Like you're biting into a muscadine. That's mm, the uh, best part of a muscadine. <laughs> so it's we try to really do that Tennessee fruit, and, and so everything's apple based. But then we go and we have a lot of fruit wines. We blend like apple, strawberry, and apple peach, and uh, raspberry, and different flavors like mm-hmm. that. So it's a really really fun part of the operation, and it's so fun to watch. You can go into the tank room and you can see it behind glass, and the fermentation to the lab, and the wooden barrels into the. Bottling line and how it labels, and, and it's just a, it, everything's done right there, so everybody can see it. Mm-hmm. And, and you walk up and you have a sample of it. And um, but so that's that's a, a fun thing that has actually progressed into a, a newer enterprise. This is our third year in uh, hard apple cider. That um, it is fascinating to me as well we we do one for the university of tennessee we're the official
4: <laughs> producer
3: of the university of tennessee that's Hardside right or it goes out to all the alumni there's an email that goes out and uh, they they order in a portion of every uh, package of hard cider that is bought goes back into the university of tennessee uh, we've got I'll, I'll show you we'll take another tour on that show you where the packaging line for that is Um, so the the hard cider has been a relatively new enterprise for us but it just seemed to fit naturally, Uh, the customers love it and it's just a a fun and similar flavor profiles, we have just a good old fashioned uh, hard cider that is a little sweeter it's called southern cider and then we also have tons of of flavors we're doing in that, everything from sweet blends to a little more hoppy we have a a hopped cider that's uh, a very fun, unique different item and but as you walk down the property, it's a the goal of the Apple Barn is to be a family-friendly uh, enterprise, so if somebody wants to visit the creamery or if somebody wants to visit the hard cidery or, or the fresh cidery, then somebody may want to visit the next shop, which is a candle and Christmas shop. And it's just a really fun shop that you can watch candles being poured uh, on side and you can go in and get your christmas ornaments and mm-hmm. things that are apple barn specific mm-hmm. or area specific mm-hmm. uh, people that are visiting and want a souvenir and things mm-hmm. like that It's uh, been a lot of fun for folks and and then far of the property is the applewood farmhouse grill uh, it's a restaurant we're very proud of that um, was built to really just to be honest to take the load off of the original farmhouse uh, my dad always says it's a farmhouse, and if we add on any more, it's not going to look like a farmhouse.
4: So
0: <laughs> it's farm we didn't want to do that. And,
3: and added that restaurant on, and, and there's other shopping opportunities on the farm. Uh, there's an Orvis uh, sporting facility that people can go and, and shop for fishing things and, and clothing and things like that. So mm-hmm. to say we've diversified is, is a true statement. We've we really. Mm-hmm. But um, to keep Apple as the king. There's been a tremendous amount of folks that enter our neighborhood, a that, that trusted circle of friends, that come to us and say, we would love to put a T-shirt shop or a, a, a tourism-driven, and if it's not has some relevance to the Apple or relevance to the farm, mm-hmm. in some way we can tie it back in, we have been reluctant to do that. Mm-hmm. So I think that's our, our mode of what we like to do is keep it, based on the historical whether it's based on the land the river the farming or the apple something has to be relevant for us to want to right. participate
0: okay we're back <laughs> um, and you mentioned you talked about all the enterprises you had but you said that your um, your your dad was about slow growth. Correct. Right
3: there, um, yeah. Absolutely. That, And you look at the, the timeline, it, it seems like we're just one big operation right now. But if you look at from 1976 to where we sit now, that's that's plenty of time to grow slow in the, in the mm-hmm. size of operation we've had. Um, Dad loves to say that we love to reinvent and add something. We love to always be on the forefront of doing things. But it could also be something that nobody that possibly people would not notice.
4: Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm.
3: When we planted a whole new section of rootstocks, it was amazing how many people noticed that. We just thought we're going from one set of trees to another. Would they really Mm -hmm. notice? But there was a pretty significant investment. I had irrigation, trellis posts, things to do in the orchard, but it was just part of the growth of the whole apple barn. Mm -hmm. You could be renovating uh, one of the buildings that Mm -hmm. we would do. We, We tried to maintain reinvesting in our operation every year in some way some years much bigger than others right. but we were, were we're pretty set on trying to grow but it's easy i think for uh i don't say i'm a young boy anymore i guess 43 <laughs> but for my brother and i two young fellows to come in and get excited about oh wow that we have this many folks on property in october if you come here in october uh, it's so exciting. It's we have cider <laughs> being made, <laughs> apples being picked. The weather is beautiful. The concern, I'll, I'll warn you, is it's, the parking lot would be so full. People are parked on bank. and mm-hmm. that's that's so exciting to to grow up in and see. So it's easy to get visions of what what what's what, next. What's now, okay. what now. So I think that has has been a good driver in saying, "Well, we we do it slow and we do it this very." Slow is the mm-hmm. best way I can say. And, and I think that's one of the reasons we've been so successful is to not have that risk of one operation. The whole farm depends on it, where we leverage ourselves mm-hmm. in a way that it's a it better work or else. Mm-hmm. And so we, we've been able to grow in a way that suits us. And is it the most efficient? Maybe not for some <laughs> big corporation, but it really suits our family structure. And, and, and to say that it's a family operation, I like to really highlight that that my brother Kevin is here with me every single day but dad and mom are here Mm -hmm. every day too
0: we already ran into your mom very first thing right
3: (laughs) and so uh, we celebrate dad's 87th birthday and and we just hope he just keeps keeps us going like he is because he's he's here and uh, he loves to know about the orchard and what's going on and and, uh, he's had so many questions just this morning for me earlier today about what we're our next step and what we're going to do in in getting the orchard correct if Mm -hmm. if i have one block of apples that didn't turn out right he wants to know what i did
1: (laughs) well obviously it was not his fault
3: (laughs)
0: Um,
1: speaking of the orchard i don't think that we
0: have said uh the varieties that you do grow here
3: Sure, we do. We, we originally grew 16 varieties. We we learned quickly that is too many for our size of, <laughs> of acreage because as soon as one variety would mature, we would pick that variety, and everybody would get excited about that variety, and then it's gone. It's
4: gone, yeah. And
3: so we have gone down to now... What is the best in our growing region is a late ripening apple. Pink Lady is a shining star. It, it ripens late and that helps us in the this southern frost line. So if we get mm-hmm. these beautiful days in the spring and these apple blooms open up, then you get that one hard mm-hmm. it just makes you want to cry. Mm-hmm. You, you know you're not going to have a crop load. So if we can push that bloom back just a few weeks, that's what we focus on. So we we do have some Fuji that's probably one of the greatest apples I think we grow and it's it's, a, it's, by design, a very late-blooming Fuji. A Cameo is a really fun apple that I, I like. We're trying to really promote it on the farm market shelf because most people have never heard of a Cameo. Mm-hmm. But when you bite into a, a good old homegrown Cameo, that's, it's a great, sweet apple. Mm-hmm. It's, if you like a Gala, to me, it's like that, but a lot better. Ooh. And, and mm-hmm. so,
1: Is it crisp?
3: It's very crisp. <laughs> it's well,
1: okay. Crisp. Cameo. cameo. <laughs> Note to self. <laughs> it's
3: a great apple. Uh, we do maintain some tart apples just because of that sweet tart aromatic blend in our cider. We want to make sure we have that. Mm-hmm. So that wine sap is a, is a great apple. Mm-hmm. And, and there are newer strains, and I don't want to bore you with what we grow. Uh, it's called a wine crisp. It's just a more disease-resistant southern apple that mm-hmm. is a wine sap. But it's just a wine little crisp. different name uh, for it. But we, we try to focus on the—we do have some gala, Fuji, we, uh, Cameo, Granny Smith, Wine Sap, and Mutsu. Mutsu is a tremendous variety. That's the last one that we put in. Uh, there's two strains of Mutsu we grow. It's a big, beautiful, greenish looking apple. Uh, some people call it a crispin in the grocery stores. But it's, uh, it grows really well in the south. It's a late-blooming variety, later-blooming variety. And uh, I've had two really good crop loads of that the last couple of years. The, I'm very new to this uh, rootstock. It's uh, it's called a Bud 9 rootstock, so it's extremely dwarfing, and it's the most efficient. What they say now in, in apple farming is you want to grow light, not ground. You want to or farm light. So if the light penetration in your canopy is where the most efficient growth of apples are, the old, big old apple Mm. trees, you would have beautiful apples Mm -hmm. on the outside of the canopy, Mm -hmm. but when you climb in the inside of the tree, you're not getting sunlight Mm. penetration. You're not getting... The spray material penetration, so your your Makes fruit sense. is not That's so cute. pretty as on the inside. Stuff. So now apple trees look more like a very small, like a hedgerow almost that are doing uh-huh. that. Now we're getting yield per acres tremendous, much much more, oh. and and we're just getting much prettier fruit. Um, and it's it works for a small orchard like we have, uh, which it's. Big to me to take care of. But I know. he keeps saying small
1: orchard, and I keep thinking, five thousand apple trees, trees. <laughs> and those little trees, man, they are—they're short, but they are loaded down with it's apples. A great crop year this year. Oh my goodness, yeah, there's are tough. pick apples That's
3: this year? Sweet.
1: Yeah, uh, I, I, sounds I great. Want to be in the pie making
2: yeah.
3: room, uh, yeah. I <laughs>
1: yeah, I'll, I'll go in there we'll and make pies, mush some cider. Yeah, yeah. We'll <laughs> say, I'll I
2: picked me enough for some pies.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I don't. Nothing about it's picking apples on that mountainside sounds appealing to me. Sampling. Yeah, <laughs> right. Sampling is a pick. Right. Well, I feel like we have just worn you out today.
3: Mm-hmm. Oh, no. no that's... Uh, but it's, it's so what I like fun. Doing, like about the barns.
2: Well, I, like I was just off. thinking about what you were talking about, people being able to see and... As I was coming back in out here, there were some folks standing watching, and I don't even know what they were watching, process there, and they said, look, they're making them one at a time. You
1: probably done pies.
2: <laughs> it might have been, I don't know, but they, they, they made that comment. It, I don't know, it sounded like maybe that was their first time here or something, you know, but they were making the comment of they're being made one at a time. And I th- I think that's pretty amazing with <laughs> the number of people that mm-hmm. I've seen here, you know, from time to time and that kind of thing. And I don't know, I've probably been coming here 20 years, and, and you don't hardly notice the amount of development and growth that you've had, mm-hmm. you know, just because of the way it's been done. Yeah. yeah.
1: And I think really you you said, you know, you wanted it to be a family-friendly atmosphere. And I think that is at the core and the heart mm-hmm. of this area with you guys. You know, uh, Megan said we, we met your mama first thing. Mm-hmm. She's peeking out the window at us. And then <laughs> <she's> <laughs> um, you know, you said your daddy's out here somewhere. And then you and your brother I, and mm-hmm. your family, you can tell, is so important to you. And I think that that just trickles mm-hmm. out across the whole I hate to say organization. What am I trying to say? Uh, I was just
0: saying I loved it already, and I love it even more now that I know the story behind yeah. it. You know, uh, uh, yeah.
1: you know, I, if you want to be family uh, oriented and family, family friendly, business. you yep. know, I feel like that's a, man, that's the what has to be at the core of it is that mm-hmm. family.
3: And well, Larry knows my three girls, and I. The thing <laughs> that I loved about growing up here is my brother and I. We'd go jump in the river. We'd go mm-hmm. in the apple orchard. We'd jump on a tractor. We would do things that a lot of kids maybe didn't get to grow up just going and jumping mm-hmm. in the outdoors. And so as soon as my girls get out of school, they will not go see Dad. They will not come up here. And that tickles me to death. I love it when they come yeah. up here and, and everybody just, you know, mm-hmm. welcomes them to come in. And they mm-hmm. put them to work doing something. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll go do whatever chore task there is mm-hmm. they can do. And they, they love that. They love like that, it's, too. That makes me happy to, to want to see that continue in, in the way we're doing it.
1: Just squeezes your heart. <laughs> squeezes I, love your heart. I love
0: it. I love it. well, I will say that I do feel like a miracle, or not, not really a miracle, but just something amazing has happened today. We've talked for how
1: long? Well, we've already uh, fulfilled 45 minutes and now right. we're uh, 10 minutes in. So we've talked almost an hour. And we didn't mention horses
0: at all. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> how in the world did that happen? We did
2: get to talk about feeding some cows. So
0: we got to talk about about cows, so, so we didn't make
1: it to horses, though. Maybe we'll we say that to, for the next one. Maybe we <laughs> just need to mention why we would have talked about horses. Oh, well, you tell us why <laughs> we talked about
2: horses. Well, other than it being one of my favorite subjects and one of Ken's favorite subjects, That's right. you know, Ken's daughter chose in 4-H and has been involved in 4-H and was, uh, he was really involved with one of the outstanding 4-H families from mm-hmm. Blunt County and Roger and Sandra Elder and They're the best folks in the world, and, uh, you know, so it's been a pretty good deal in order to get to spend some time with them at the State 4-H-O show this year and sees kids and all that kind of thing. So that's why we've been talking about horses. Yeah. We've been talking about kids and horses.
0: Um, kids and horses. Yeah. Kids they're, and horses. That's they're, they're all They're right. trying
2: to get Kent into cutting horse industry. Oh,
0: so. all right.
1: Uh, you cutting. I love it. For those of you that don't know about Larry Mitchell, he's a real cowboy. <laughs> <laughs> <I mean. laughs> and horses are one of his favorite things ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe more than people.
2: Lots more. <laughs> <laughs>
1: But, that, and that's something, though, when we started this podcast, we were talking about how we wanted to cross... All the program lines. We we mm-hmm. just blur them up and talk about mm-hmm. everything. And this right here, we've talked about 4-H, talked about agriculture, talked about our family and consumer science stuff. That is exactly what we had in mm-hmm. mind from the gate. Hey, and I think
0: this is probably the first time that we've talked about on-the-ground extension, but also yeah. the research um, of mm-hmm. extension. And so, um, uh, so if, yeah, we've... We, I said we don't have a checklist, but we if we did, we've checked them all today. So we, we appreciate it so much for having us.
3: Well, and to say our appreciation for the university and the the, the outreach and extension is beyond, I, I would fathom to say that it's one of the most effective situations that has ever been required. I mean, the Apple Barn would not be without that extension, without Dr. That's David Lockwood, and without the with outgoing <laughs> processes that have, the, the just from a kind of a dream idea that came from the extension agent, the Joe mm-hmm. Woods and Dr. Lockwood, to the actual seeing it through and the how it's still to this day, and, and from 1976 <laughs> to 2022, mm-hmm. to, to see that still be that integral of a part. Um, I, I wore my Tennessee shirt today. They asked um, me to come yeah. <laughs> do a Herbert College of Agriculture speech at one of the classes and, and talking about how what does the university mean? I said, well, it's meant a lot to us. Mm -hmm. It's it's not just been, for me, a place to go to school, even though that was a a tremendous part of it. It's that We're still doing ongoing. My senior project uh, was with Dr. Park, and we did it based at the Apple Barn. It was in data collection, different things about how we do things at the Apple Barn, and it, it... was a class credit for me mm-hmm. but let me tell you it really helped it was a, mm-hmm. a relevant piece of, of data that we collected from
0: that may I say real
1: life solutions
0: right? <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: i I feel like we have just absolutely worn you out and I know uh, eventually we'll be like we should have asked him about this (laughs) oh (laughs) (laughs) man we'll have to come back (laughs) we do appreciate Mm -hmm. your time um your um just everything, the tour, the, the telling us about the history, mm-hmm. talking about you, just the whole thing has been wonderful. Mm-hmm. And we appreciate yes. you.
3: Well, no problem. And thank you all for taking the time to be in here. Thanks to anybody that was interested enough to listen to anything about the Apple Water. <laughs> Absolutely.
1: You might be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So
0: that's it for today. And we'll see you next time.